Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Thomas Steele, who's a rising fifth-year resident at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He's originally from Bunky, Louisiana. He completed college and medical school at Louisiana State University, and his primary academic interest is microsurgery. Thomas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jenna. So I'd love to get started by hearing a broad overview about your program at Wake Forest. Yeah, Wake Forest University is in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It's in the Piedmont area of the North Carolina region. I don't think I knew exactly where that was when I was applying, but it's a beautiful part of the country. We serve a very wide catch basin of population extending North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia. I think our population that we actually have a catch basin of is around 6 million. So it's a huge referral base and we are the closest level one trauma center for about three or 400 miles around. The plastic surgery program in particular has been known for translational research. So Dr. Lou Argento started the program. He's the one who invented the wound vac, the negative pressure wound therapy. And his innovation has springboarded the program to the future. We have taken that and translated it into a lot of really interesting basic and translational science going on here. So we have a very strong research background. And as I mentioned earlier, the 6 million people that refer here are provide a very strong clinical background as well. I'd say the big single word to take away from Wake Forest Plastic Surgery is clinically excellent trained surgeons. Uh, that's what uh, our program tries to train residents into being. Whenever you graduate here, you'll be able to operate on anything, with anything, for anything. So clinical excellence, translational research, and some mission trips abroad are big parts of our program as well. Can you walk me through how much plastic surgery experience you get in the first three years? Yeah, so... We have the first two years, you have a total of 12 months of general surgery, and that includes pediatrics, surgical ICU, trauma ICU, surgical oncology, vascular surgery, general surgery, transplant surgery, and burn. So that's kind of all of the general surgery services and non-plastics. As interns, you'll have two months of plastic surgery. And then as second years, you'll also have two months of plastic surgery. Starting the third year, you're spending the majority of your time on the main plastic service that is all based at the same hospital, the Wake Forest main campus. And we have rotations also on ortho, hand service, ENT for facial plastics and for head and neck reconstruction, and then private practice. We have a very strong cosmetic experience here. We rotate at three different private practices throughout the first four years of training. And so that provides a very strong basis for the cosmetic knowledge. We are changing a little bit. This is our third three-member class. So we've had three rising fourth years, two rising third years, three rising second years, and then we just took two interns. So we're kind of doing the three-two-three-two system. With that additional resident that we've started to take, we are changing schedules around a little bit. But in general, you will have two months exposure of the main plastic service in your first year and in your second year. And starting third year, you'll be on service pretty much the whole time. 
What's the experience like when you're on some of the non-plastics or general surgery rotations? It's a really strong experience. Most of our faculty trained under the independent model. Well, I'd say about half and half, but the more senior half obviously trained under the independent model. They have a very strong respect and a good working relationship with the general surgeons. So when you're on the surgical oncology service, there is a focus for breast surgical oncology. So you'll be doing the mastectomies. You won't be necessarily doing the hepatobiliary resections or things like that. So the general surgeons definitely cater it towards whatever you're interested in, or if you're in the plastics world, then they'll push you in more of the plastics related fields. Vascular surgery is super relevant for all areas of the body, just knowing blood supply and all that. We have a very strong burn center here, a level one burn center. I think there's only 40 in the country. And so we get a very strong overall burn care experience. And then when you transition to the later years of your training, burn reconstruction, the ped surgery, the ICUs, those are all just good rotations to learn how to be a good doctor. Whenever you're a second year in the ICU, you are the main person running the ICU. So you're putting in all the lines and running all the codes. And so it's a really high pace, high stress month, but it's one of the biggest rotations where you say, Hey, I'm a real doctor. Like I can do this. And so that's been one of the best experiences outside of all the plastics training that you get here. And can you go through the different sites where you do rotate across the years? Nearly all of our rotations, at least up to this point, have been at Wake Forest main campus, which is a huge selling point for me whenever I was applying. So Wake Forest main campus has over 800 uh, beds in the hospital. It's where we have a children's hospital. We have 40 operating rooms. There's a new surgical slash emergency room tower being built that'll probably be completed in the next five years, right across the street from the main campus as well. We have a Mo surgery practice that we rotate at. That's in town, so five minutes from the main hospital. Two of the private practices that we rotate at are also in town. And Winston-Salem is not a very big city. You can get anywhere in about 15 minutes. And so anywhere in town is 15-minute drive at most. Usually it's about five or 10 minutes. And then we just recently partnered with Atrium. So a big change coming is the Carolinas Medical Center has a very robust reconstructive plastic surgery practice without any residents there. They have only had attendings or faculty there. And with the partnership between Atrium and Wake, we are, as a plastic surgery department, going to send residents down to Charlotte for two months in the third year and two months in the fifth year. They do over 800 free flaps a year at Charlotte. And so that will be a huge microsurgery heavy rotation. And it will be extremely beneficial because before this year, we have a great clinical experience overall, but microsurgery would be one of the lower volume areas that we work on. And this will catapult us into a, a very strong microsurgery experience. So rotating in Charlotte for two months is a third year, two months is a fifth year is a change that is coming. We haven't started that rotation yet. That should start in September of, of this year. And then the last rotation that we do is private practice in Charlotte. The private practice is Hunstead, Cortessus, Bahardi. The two of those positions, Cortessus and Bahardi, have two aesthetics fellowship spots that they offer every year. So they are a huge 100% cosmetic practice and they graduated from Wake. So there's a good relationship. That's where we get a ton of our cosmetic experience as well. And I recently just rotated off of that as one of the best cosmetic experiences 
I can imagine a resident having. And so, so Charlotte's about an hour from Winston. And then we have a rotation in Greensboro that's about 20 minutes away. That's only one month during your fourth year. And that's a very general plastics rotation, brush reductions and abdominal plasties. And it is run by our new hand surgeon. So he's trying to build up an elective hand practice out there. So you do get some experience in elective hand, but it's very broad, general plastic surgery. So I guess in summary, Charlotte is the farthest that you would travel. And that would be for four months total throughout your residency or five months counting the elective rotation. And then Greensboro is about 20 minutes away. And that's one month out of your residency. Everything else is in Winston. And when you're rotating in Charlotte, do residents generally commute for those months or is there an opportunity to like stay at an apartment there? So just recently, the first time we rotated at Charlotte was myself and my co-resident, the two fourth years. And that's the plan going forward is as a fourth year, you'll rotate on the cosmetic Charlotte service. We just leased an apartment in Charlotte to have a resident be able to stay in Charlotte. And that will be free of charges, paid for by the department, all your utilities and things like that. The downside of having to live in Charlotte for you know multiple months is curbed a little bit by the free housing. You don't have to pay two mortgages or two rents or things like that. And you mentioned that you get a little bit of time working with those aesthetic fellows. Are there any other fellows you work with or do you overlap with any independent residents? We do not. We did have one independent resident who just graduated, but that was just to fill a vacancy that that came up in our program. But traditionally, we are an integrated program and have been that way for 20 years. And we have no fellows that we take and we have no plans to take fellows. Dr. David is our chair and she has made it a priority to focus on the integrated resident experience. She doesn't want to dilute that by adding fellows, even though the craniofacial experience here probably could support a fellow. It's very robust, but part of our training is, you know, it's focused on the residents. The residents are doing the operating. We do work with hand fellows when we're on the pedic service, but that's for one month. And in general, our hand is divided very equally. Half the month, plastics is on hand call and the other half ortho is on hand call. So we have our own hand patients that we take care of as plastics residents. That goes nicely into my next question, which is, can you describe how call works? And just to clarify for hand, is it like two weeks, two weeks or every other day? The call schedule is half of the month. So from this year, it's from the 16th to the end of the month for us, for plastics. And we take hand and face call in addition to the general plastics call. So it's hectic during those two weeks. You're on, you know, for two straight weeks. As a service, obviously one single person's not on, but as a service, you've taken two straight weeks of hand and face call. The general system is a buddy system. So second year is paired with a fourth year and a third year is paired with the fifth year. The lower level residents are taking the primary call. They're seeing all the consults. They're fielding pages from the nurses. And then whenever there is some procedure that needs to be done, an extension tendon repair or a face laceration repair, the lower level will call the upper level and the upper level will come in and kind of walk the lower level through that. If it's an ED, if it needs to go to the operating room, like a devascularized hand, we'll call the chief in as well. So the chief will come in and operate anything in the operating room. We get a lot of autonomy down in the emergency department. We definitely try to push the border on things that we can do down there. We've ligated radio arteries down there. 
repaired pretty big face lacerations down in the emergency department. But anytime that we need to go to the operating room, obviously that's an easily accessible option for us as well. Getting back to the main question of call, you are generally on call for every fourth or fifth day on non-trauma call. So this year it's the first half of you're only taking plastics call and you'll probably be able to stretch that out to once a week call. And the call then is very light. It's generally any post-op problems that come in and any floor issues that happen. So the second year is going to take that call primarily. And so it gives us a lot of protection, me as an upper level, when the second year can handle that. And then on weekends, on non-trauma, one person covers the whole weekend. So it's not infrequent that you have every weekend off except one trauma weekend as a single individual. And then for non-trauma weekends, probably every sixth or seventh weekend, you'll have to cover. What is the mid-level support? We have a great mid-level support in our clinic. We have four nurse practitioners that primarily see clinic patients. We don't have any mid-levels on the floor or seeing consults for us. And we don't have any in the operating room at this point that may change, but I am not aware of any plans to change that. But we get to work with some fantastic nurse practitioners in the clinic and, and they get to pick our brains and we get to pick theirs. And it's a great collegial system. And are there any opportunities for electives? Yeah, there is. We do one month of elective fourth year and one month of elective as fifth year. So this past um, year was a little messed up with all the a pandemic, but this year I actually started my elective in July and being interested in microsurgery, we don't do our own head and neck reconstruction here, ENT does. And so I want to get some more head and neck experience. So I'm going to rotate on the ENT service and, and try to get some head and neck reflaps in and learn a little bit more about the anatomy and, and things like that. But in the recent past, we've had our rising chief, Megan Rudolph, did an elective rotation on hand service. And she matched in a hand fellowship just recently. So there's a one month opportunity in fourth year, one month opportunity in fifth year to kind of just pick whatever you want. I don't think it can be used on research, but any service that you'd like to rotate on. Can residents ever take that month and visit another site? We haven't done that in the past, but that is something that I was interested in. So trying to go to a site, a, a microsurgery fellowship and, and just rotate there for a week or two. And I emailed MD Anderson, for example, and this was in April, 2020. So all of that shut down, but I'm hopeful that in the future, we would be able to take that month and go somewhere else, but there's no concrete plans yet. And you mentioned a little bit about it at the beginning. So I would love to hear about the opportunities there are for global rotations or mission trips. So we do four or five main sites that we were going on at least once every other year. Most of these were every year. So the, the sites are Togo in Africa. That one's every other year. Bolivia is every year. Moldova is every year. Vietnam is every year. And then Zambia is every other year. It's a little sporadic. Obviously with the pandemic, everything's been shut down, but all of those sites that we go to, we have a very strong relationship so I'll be going to Zambia September 19th, and that's with the Surgicore program, which is a very well-known mission trip program. The person I'll be going with is Dr. Ann Argenta. She's one of our hand surgeon faculty, but 
we're going to a pediatric hospital, so we expect to see a wide variety of all kinds of pediatric cases. We'll be in Lusaka, which is the capital of Zambia. I learned that last week. Fun fact. So that'll be exciting. That'll be our first mission trip back since the pandemic started. The other international rotation is Vietnam that we're also going to in September. Dr. Runyon is our craniofacial program director. The Vietnamese surgeons there can do just about any basic plastic surgery thing. They save the really complex Cruzon syndrome, you know, Lefort three distractions. They save those for when our group uh, joins them over there. So you see a wide variety of really advanced pathology in Vietnam and get to do some really complex craniofacial cases there. Moldova is similar. We basically helped the uh, Moldovan surgeons over there start the craniofacial program. We've given them oscillating saws and things like that. So again, very craniofacial heavy, very complex craniofacial cases that we do there. Bolivia is similar to Zambia. It's a pediatric hospital. You see a lot of burns, a lot of burn reconstruction. And then Togo is, again, similar, but just a very broad array of complex cases, burn contractures, syndactyly, and things like that. And Dr. David usually goes on the Togo trip. The Bolivia trip is generally Dr. Marks or Dr. Molnar are two of our more senior faculty that would attend that trip. It's really cool that it sounds like it's very collaborative with local surgeons in terms of capacity building. Exactly. That seems to be a big trend is 30, 40 years ago, us Westerners would just go over and do all these surgeries and then leave. And that has called into question a lot of the, how much good are we doing? And so that has transitioned in the last 20 years to building up a foundation in those countries. You mentioned a bit about the cosmetic experience. Can you go through the specific months you get cosmetic exposure? As a first year, you rotate on for scythe plastic surgery and Mohs surgery, which is similar to a cosmetic experience. The Mohs surgery is in our building, our offsite building. We call it Best Mill because it's on Best Mill Road, but it's the skin surgery center. It's owned by Dr. Leshin and Dr. Albertini, as well as some other Mohs surgeons, Dr. Dan Pierce. But Dr. Leshen and Albertini are two of the former presidents of the American Society of Mohs Surgery. So huge giants in the field of Mohs Surgery. You get an excellent month with them learning local flaps, bilobed flaps, and trilobed flaps, and forehead flaps in their private practice setting. And then that's in the first year. And then you get another month in your first year at Forsyth Plastic Surgery, which is a group right down the street, Dr. Andy Schneider graduated with Dr. David from residency. And so they have a very strong relationship allowing residents to come work with them. It's what you would think of at any private practice. It's not 100% cosmetic, probably 70, 70% cosmetic, 30% reconstructive, but they have a beautiful new facility called the Vista. And you really get that exposure early on in your career to what a private practice setting is like. And then you get another cosmetic rotation as second years, which is just the second year picking and choosing the cosmetic cases that are a part of the main service. So if Dr. Marks and the chief are going to have a forehead flap for a nose reconstruction, and that's something you want to see, the second year can kind of pick and choose those interesting cases. And then you get two cosmetic rotations as a fourth year. One of them is in town, Salem Plastic Surgery, very similar to the Forsyth Plastic Surgery rotation just a very general plastic surgery, cosmetic plastic surgery practice. 
And the second is the Charlotte rotation that we mentioned earlier at HKB Cosmetic Surgery. It, it is a fascinating experience. Those guys are machines down there. They have two operating rooms in their office and they are doing eight to 10 cases a day in those operating rooms. And so they have enough volume to hire two aesthetics fellows. And so it, it, it's insane to see kind of pushing the limits of what you can do in cosmetic surgery. And they're very academically strong as well. So those wide variety of experiences really give you a ton of exposure in your first, second, and fourth years. And then to kind of wrap it all up, we have a chief year that's designed to give you a very strong cosmetic experience as well. Every other week, there's two chiefs. So one chief is the inpatient chief. One chief is the cosmetics chief. The cosmetics chief is just doing cosmetics with our attendings at Wake. And on top of that, they have their chief cosmetic clinic, which every Friday is blocked off for the chiefs to see new patients, usually in the afternoon. And then once they get established, they'll start doing their own surgeries. I think the last year they've done 57 or 58 operations. A lot of them are body contouring. They've done two facelifts. They've done a rhinoplasty, brachioplasties. And it's an extremely beneficial experience to be able to get a very honed in focus of cosmetic surgery, but also a very autonomous experience as well. Our attendings will supervise, but supervise in the sense that on Wednesday, they'll talk about the case. And then on Friday, the attending is available if they need. But I can't remember the last time an attending has actually scrubbed into one of the chief's cases. So it's a very strong experience. And I, I really couldn't imagine having any stronger experience like that anywhere else. Again, when you graduate from this program, you're going to be able to go right into private practice and feel very comfortable. Doing it. Those two months of plastics in the intern year, they're just aesthetic focused? There's two months on service, like on the main plastic service at Wake Forest. And then there's an additional two months. I guess one of them is not truly plastics, but it's Mohs surgery. And they do a lot of plastic reconstruction. And then the second month is a private practice. So I guess you actually get three months of plastic surgery as intern. Then with the chief, so is it essentially that the chiefs are like six months aesthetic, six month reconstructive main service? Yeah, exactly. So half of the year, you're cosmetics chief, half of the year, you're inpatient chief. They just alternate every week. Is there any experience with gender affirmation surgery? We do a select amount of top surgery. We do not have any faculty that are you know, pioneering some of the transgender surgeries. And to be honest, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable performing transgender surgery without having a transgender center here because it's it's kind of like a cleft lip and cleft palate. You can do the surgery, but it's a very complex patient situation. And so being able to do the surgery is one thing, but being able to actually treat the whole patient is, is another thing entirely. So we don't have that right now. I don't know of any concrete plans to develop one in the future. How would you say your program manages resident operative autonomy? So we get a ton of operative experience starting early on. First and second years are sometimes running their own room in some of the smaller cases like lasers and, and scar revisions and things like that. Starting as a third year, you're basically the person running the operating room. So we had 15 or 16 cases on Friday. Both of our chiefs were doing their cosmetic cases. So both of the fifth years had their own room. Both of the fourth years had their own room. And 
the third years were kind of helping out. The attendings that we operate with really give us a lot of autonomy. Doctor is one of our older surgeons and the things that he can do is just amazing to watch. Dr. Molnar, when myself and our outgoing chief were operating on Thursday, I don't think Dr. Molnar scrubbed in one time. We did a pec flap, we did a burn reconstruction. And so depending on who the attendings have and, and what their level of trust is, there are times when the attendings will be in the room, but won't even scrub unless you need them to. So it's again, a very high focus on clinical and technical excellence here at Wake. Can you walk me through like what each PGY level would do during a deep? Our deep surgeon is Dr. Eva Pastana. He is a fantastic deep surgeon. Generally, your fifth year is kind of your deep year. You're doing all the breast recon. So the fifth year would be helping Dr. Pastana kind of elevate the flaps. And then the fourth year in general, and the intern would be preparing the recipient vessels under the you know supervision of Dr. Pastana. But in general, the deep year kind of is your fifth year. You're doing all the micro as a five, and that's kind of your quote-unquote micro fellowship year. Any type of other free flap reconstruction can be a fifth year and a chief going through the micro. But as I mentioned earlier, all of our operative numbers are in the 90th, 95th percentile. Microsurgery is like in the 40th percentile. So it's not terrible, but we don't get as much as a lot of our other cases. And that will obviously be improved once we start rotating down at Atrium. That experience is kind of yet to be seen because our first rotation is going to be there in September. So TBD on how that experience goes. And are there any particularly awesome perks about the program you'd like to share? Our program is very fortunate to have a lot of the monetary proceeds from the wound back be recycled in our program. So as a first year, you get a digital camera that the program provides. We have a very strong focus on oral boards preparation. So starting as a first and second year, you're expected to take photos of your interesting patients. And then at the end of the year, submit those for like a mock oral boards setting, you know, for your uh, preparation for your boards. And that digital camera will allow you to take high quality photos and really kind of get into the mindset of, you know, positioning and lighting. And, and it's been really interesting just learning how to take photos. First year, digital camera. Second year, you get loops. Third year, you get an iPad. Fourth year you, and fifth year, you get $500 per year that goes towards textbooks. And then sixth year, you get to go to the, whatever meeting of choice that you want. And the department pays for it. Usually the more recent graduates have tried to go to the Aesthetic Society meeting just because it's not one that we frequently attend. I think the most recent one that we went to was the Southeastern Society just a couple of weeks ago in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And so that was, you know, provided free of charge for the residents. The, the department covers all expenses. Christmas gifts. Every year, the department provides us with Christmas. Usually it's a book set. Last year, we got a set of Nelligans. And then we do get food stipends. So $7.50 for breakfast and $10 for dinner. The catch is you have to be on call. So you have to be at the hospital 16 hours or more for you to get that perk. And the other than the mission trips that we talked about, that was the other perk that I had. With the digital camera, do you get any like opportunity to take classes through the program? 
there's not a formal class, but we have a photographer in our department and she gives us a dedicated didactic session every year that kind of goes through lighting and background and positioning and f-stop and focus and all of these intricate camera terms that that I never understood you know little old boy from Louisiana never knew what a digital camera was other than the one on your phone and so it's been a really cool experience to learn and our outgoing chief Miha Khan just purchased a new digital camera as an upgrade in preparation for using all of those skills that you learn with those digital cameras what is the research experience like, both in terms of expectations and opportunities? Yeah, so we have a very strong research lab. I think it's 40,000 square feet. A uh, result of the funding from the WoundVac, we have uh, two full-time PhD researchers there. Dr. Adam Katz is a recent hire. I think he's been here two years now. He's the director of our research lab. He still does a lot of clinical work as well, but his primary position is director of the research lab. And he has really catapulted the research focus in the world of adipose-derived stem cells and fat grafting. We just hired Dr. Ramon Yui. He was the former director of microsurgery at MD Anderson Europe or MD Anderson Spain. And Dr. Yui and Dr. Katz are kind of the definition of the modern Renaissance man. It's impressive to see their minds work. Dr. Yui has uh, a million different ideas, but it's not disorganized. It's very organized and structured. And, and I'm excited to see what the research direction looks like at Wake Forest with those two kind of heading the charge now. In terms of the residents, the first time you get research month is as second years, you get two research months. And then as a third year, you get one dedicated research month. The expectations are you should actively be working on a project at all times, but in addition to that, you should be submitting to either a regional or national meeting every year. So Southeastern Society and North Carolina Society are our two regionals, and then the ASPS is generally the national meeting. And then when you submit, you should have a working rough draft of the manuscript, and by the time you present, you're expected to have a, a completed draft of the manuscript. So obviously with COVID, there was a lot of downtime clinically, and I was able to publish five publications this past year. As interns in second years, it's not as much, but you're building that base of research experience. We had two residents competing for the Glancy Cup, which is the Southeastern Society Resident Research Award. This past week, we usually have people competing for the George Aid Cup, which is the North Carolina. So it's a, it's a very strong focus on research in addition to the clinical experience that you get here. So very well-rounded overall. You can, if you come in with research ideas, the lab is set up to be able to help you in whatever way. They have four full-time lab assistants that we had a pig project that we wanted to do with venous congestion of flaps and seeing if the vac could salvage that venous congestion. And so we were able to use 20 pigs as part of that project. We have Dr. Runyon is performing primate studies. There are obviously mouse and rabbit models here. So a very strong research lab here, and you're able to do whatever you want to do in those research months. About how many residents would you say are doing basic science research versus clinical research? 
It varies. I would say 60 to 70% are doing clinical research and 30 to 40% are doing basic science. With the addition of Dr. Katz and Dr. Yui, I can see that number shifting more towards the basic and translational science, just because that's what their modus operandi is, their MO is, but it remains to be seen. I guess whatever ideas they have, they're willing and ready to have residents take charge of those ideas, those research ideas. In addition, any residents that have their own ideas, they can take those and run with them as, as far as they can. If you have a project accepted, what is available in terms of support to go to a conference? And is it only limited to those regional ones and ASPS? Or if you get accepted at a different conference, what happens? Any podium presentation, so any oral presentation that you get is covered 100%. Flights, lodging, meals, and any poster presentation you get is not covered, basically. If it's a regional meeting, like let's say it's in the Grove Park Inn is where the North Carolina meeting is this year down in Asheville. If I got a poster presentation there, I would probably take the weekend and just go down there and present the poster. Um, it would be on my own dime, but it's a quick drive and very easily accessible. But any podium presentation is 100% fully funded by the department. Is there any limitation on that? No, no limitations. We've had people get accepted to a wound meeting in Hawaii. So she went and presented at the Boswick meeting in Hawaii, Dr. Khan, our graduating chief, and everything was fully funded. So pick whatever meeting you'd like. And as long as you get an oral presentation there and you're representing Wake Forest, then we're happy to, to promote that. And what area of plastic surgery would you say residents come out with the strongest experience in? Part of the clinical volume here allows residents to come out very well-rounded not having fellows, we basically get a craniofacial fellowship during our fifth year, as well as a similar like a micro fellowship during our fifth year. But the strongest areas that I would say are cosmetic experience and our craniofacial experience. The hand experience is becoming more and more robust. Our two most recent hires are both hand trained surgeons. And so we'll be boosting that in the near future. And then our micro experience is about a little below average just from volume numbers, as we discussed earlier. But again, I expect those numbers to, to catapult once we start rotating down in Charlotte. A lot of our recent graduates have gone straight into private practice. Our two graduates last year, one of them is in Nashville who joined a practice and the other one started his own practice. And so the cosmetic experience that you get here at Wake gives you the confidence and the abilities to go right into practice. One of my former mentors said there's two reasons to do a fellowship. One is because you want additional training in a very niche subspecialty, transgender surgery, craniofacial surgery would be examples. And the other is because you're not comfortable doing something. And so a lot of programs that say, hey, we send our residents to fellowships every year, that may or may not be a good thing. If they feel like they don't get enough cosmetic experience, our residency here when you graduate, you will be comfortable doing any type of cosmetic procedure you want. And maybe aside from increasing micro volume, as you've mentioned, you will be, how else would you improve your program? I think part of any residency is going to be lack of sleep. So here, when you're on call, you are on call during the day, on call during the night, and then 
the next day, depending on what duties need to be done, you may be there for part of the morning into the afternoon as well. The answer to that is always more residents, which we're kind of starting to address with taking three every other year. But there is a possibility to explore the night float system, having one resident cover nights, which would allow for more sleep <laughs> in general. But it's really a trade-off. Anything that you change is going to have pluses and minuses. So the call system here allows for good continuity of care. You're the resident. You saw this complex face fracture come in on Monday at 10 p.m. And then you have to establish the staffing with the attending. You have to sign them up for surgery, uh, get consent and all that. And so it really allows for continuity of care with the downside being maybe you don't get as much sleep. So long-winded answer to a short question, but we have the volume here to support more residents. And I think our program is definitely trying to, to add more residents here. And now I'd love to hear about your faculty leadership. So your chair and your PD. Our chair is uh, Dr. Lisa David. She graduated the independent residency here under Dr. Lou Argenta and then did a craniofacial fellowship and when she came back, she has basically devoted her entire career to craniosynostosis and other complex craniofacial defects. Her big research area and area of clinical experience is spring-assisted surgery. So having her as our program leader, our program chair, she has put a big focus on the craniofacial experience here. And again, without any fellows, as a fifth year, you are the craniofacial fellow. So you're doing all the complex craniofacial cases with Dr. David and Dr. Runyon. Dr. David is a fantastic leader. She is basically working full-time. She got her MBA two years ago. She took two years, took night classes, and was able to obtain her MBA to make herself more competitive, but also to lead the department into the future. And a lot of programs talk about you know women leadership, and then you look at their leaders and it's, you know, two white men, but Dr. David, she not only talks the talk, but she walks the walk. She is a, a very powerful role model for all residents and we really are super lucky to have her and can't wait to see where she takes the program in the future. Dr. Runyon is our program director. He's also craniofacial trained and he does a lot of distraction osteogenesis. So mandible distraction, posterior vault distraction, and he has been a fantastic leader and role model as well. He's very committed to the didactic experience here at Wake. It's, it's a very strong educational curriculum here. And he and Dr. David are both extremely responsive to resident concerns. So for example, Dr. David had some residents several years ago come to her that one of the subspecialty services we were rotating on, they were not treating us very fairly. We were just expected to write notes. We weren't allowed in the operating room. And so based on that feedback, Dr. David said, okay, we're not going to rotate on that service anymore. And so the next year we didn't rotate on that service and, and we have it. So being able, I guess, number one, being able to be your own department allows you a lot of mobility, which is something incoming applicants may not know to ask about, but we are our own department here. So we have a lot of, of freedom in, in being able to respond to concerns in that manner but to being able to have leaders that listen to residents and not only listen to residents, but respond with meaningful action is huge. 
and I can list example after example just like that, but suffice it to say that Dr. Dave and Dr. Runyon both prioritize residents very highly and will respond in whatever way they need to. And you're a rising fifth year, right? So you'll be looking into fellowships and applying for that this upcoming year. Exactly. Yeah. So microsurgery fellowships open January 1st. So I guess up to this point, how have your faculty helped you develop that interest? And if anything so far, what have they done to kind of start to prepare you for that process? We basically have sit down meetings with Dr. Runyon and or Dr. David twice a year. So at the end of every semester, so to speak. Um, and in those meetings, we kind of go through everything, how your performance has been. But towards the end, it's like, all right, what are you interested in? What do you see yourself doing? So me personally being interested in microsurgery, we had that experience where I was attempting to reach out to a microsurgery fellowship about shadowing there for a week or two. Unfortunately, that kind of fell through with the pandemic. But Dr. Yui being an excellent microsurgeon and a former director of MD Anderson in Spain, he will sit down with residents one-on-one and just go through a basic micro lab. I know a lot of places have dedicated micro labs as well, and, and we do have that experience, but having Dr. Yui sit down one-on-one with you and show you different tips and tricks and how to hold the needle and how to tie the suture has been fantastic. And then having faculty who are a little more political, so to speak. So Dr. Katz is very well known in all of the Southeastern society circles, and he knows a lot of people. Dr. David is is the same way, being program director and now program chair for the last 15 years. They know a lot of people in the academic world and are able to make those calls for you. And they have no qualms. They know what kind of experience and training that we get here. And their recommendations come very highly. So both clinical training and political recommendations are provided here in support of those fellowships. And what kind of roles do residents play in department decision-making for things like picking new residents or hiring new faculty? Our two chiefs are a part of every faculty meeting. I think they have a faculty meeting once a month, and the two chiefs attend that. And that acts as a two-way communication valve. The residents can bring those concerns to the chiefs, and the chiefs can relay those to faculty. And the faculty can then relay similar concerns through the chiefs to the residents. For new residents, upcoming residents, the chiefs have a lot of say, like most places, interview all the applicants just like the attendings do, and then they sit in on the ranking meetings. Any time that there's been a concern about an applicant, that concern is listened to and heard, and either the applicant is ranked lower or they're not ranked, and then any time an applicant has been outstanding and the residents absolutely love that applicant always finds their way to the top of the list. So it's a very, again, very responsive program, a very responsive leaders to the resident input. And how does your program promote diversity and inclusion and or help you develop into a culturally competent resident? Great question. So I think we have a lot of exposure to different cultures through the mission trips. Every resident goes on two mission trips throughout their year. So I've never been off the continent of North America. Coming from Louisiana, certainly a different culture, but not the same as, as Zambia, Africa. And so being able to see that is going to be definitely a culture shock. And I'm excited at the experience that that'll be. And then again, just having 
the the female leadership of Dr. David. A lot of places talk about you know women leadership, but Wake really lives it. So I think those two factors, the mission trips, and having a, a woman as your leader has been fantastic experience. And now I'd love to hear more about the relationships amongst the residents, so kind of the general resident culture and camaraderie. So that's kind of the buzzword of, of the applicant season is what's the culture and what's the fit? And those are both very subjective terms and it's hard to define. I was actually asking some of my co-residents, like, how do I respond to this question? A lot of people kind of said the same thing. It's one of the perks of this program is all of the residents are in a central location. So there's a resident office where every resident has their own computer and it's right outside the attending offices. So as you leave the resident office, go to OR, you're passing by your attending offices and that can foster a very strong, close-knit sense of community. You're working with these same people 80 to 100 hours a week and there's no choice but to develop into a family. I mean, I'm with them more than I'm with my wife and dog here at home, but that central location where everyone has a place to be and, and a computer to work on promotes a very strong sense of, of family. Even though we spend 80 to 100 hours a week with each other, we still want to hang out with each other outside of work. So last weekend, we did a, a crawfish boil at one of our second year's houses and everyone was invited. We just hung out in the backyard and had some beverages and ate some crawfish. And it was a beautiful North Carolina summer day. Some of the other residents' responses when I asked this question, I was like, well, you know, what, what's some good words? And they kind of said the same thing, family, tight-knit, community, well-rounded, broad and diverse clinical experience, convenient. And then one of our rising fourth years said, someone who's ready to operate, get plugged in early and run an operating room. We rely heavily on each other to run the service and get work done and someone who buys in and sees their residency experience as more than a job. So being able to have residents give that input is valuable. And so that is honestly better than I could say it. I think now just a few final questions about the logistics of how residents live. So do most own or rent? Almost everybody owns a house. In the last five years, it has been very easy to buy a house. Here in Winston-Salem, the Average cost is $200,000 to $250,000 for a house that residents buy. And the hospital is in a very centralized location in the city. There's an, a neighborhood that kind of surrounds the hospital called Ardmore. It's a very quaint community. A lot of the houses are older from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. But that allows for residents to literally walk to the hospital. One of the chiefs, uh, my intern year, would be able to get to the hospital with a five minute walk. It has undergone a lot of development recently. And so the housing prices are increasing as they are across the country. And so that may change, but right now the average home prices are still very reasonable and allow for residents to purchase a home as interns and really start getting equity, you know, in their financial paths, which is a big step for anybody, but especially residents who come out with a lot of debt. How are residents spread out in Winston-Salem? The popular neighborhood is Ardmore, but there are a lot of different neighborhoods. My wife and I looked and looked in Ardmore and couldn't find a house that we wanted. Being from the 30s and 40s, they, they tend to not have a lot of closet space or things that 
more modern houses may have. And so we moved quote unquote out in the boonies, which is 10 minutes from the hospital. It's right by the shopping mall. We have Costco's two minutes away. And the area that we are in is between Winston-Salem and Clemens, which is another small little suburb, I guess you could say, of Winston-Salem. Some residents live in Clemens, but I'd say the majority of them live in Ardmore neighborhood, which is that five-minute walk to the hospital. It's a very walkable neighborhood. It's a very family-friendly neighborhood. They have lots of parks and playgrounds and things of that nature. And then a couple of the residents who are single or don't have kids, they may rent or own condos or apartments downtown. And they have, you know, high-rise apartment buildings and a, a beautiful downtown space with a green space where the medical school is. So there's a wide variety of experiences in a very small town. So is it necessary to have a car? I'd say it is. If you live in Ardmore, then you could walk to the hospital and that's where you're going most of the time. There is a bike trail as well, but I think just for the day-to-day -day navigation, it's necessary to have a car. And what's the breakdown of residents being single, married, and having kids? It's about 50-50. So I was kind of running through this. Our two chiefs are married with children. The two rising fifth years, myself and Robert, are both married without kids. The three rising fourth years, one of them is single. One of them is married with no kids. One of them is married with kids. The two rising third years, one of them is married with kids. One of them is engaged. And then the rising interns, one of them is engaged, one of them is single, and the other one is married. So it's pretty much 50-50. Winston-Salem is a very college-centric town, so it's easy to meet new people. Being a huge academic center, a lot of people come from outside of the state or outside of the city for sure. And so they're all in the same boat as the interns. Everyone is new and probably doesn't know a lot of people here. There's a very easy way to make new friends here in Winston-Salem. How does the program support residents who either have kids already or are starting a family in residency? We always support family. We had a resident several years ago who had complications after a delivery and needed to take extra time off. The department allowed her to take that extra time off without adding any time on at the end of her training. And so it was a very eye-opening experience, like, hey, we're here to support you. We know that it's not just about work. There's a new American Board of Plastic Surgery policy that allows for 12 weeks of maternity or paternity leave outside of your four weeks of vacation. And so we have some residents who are pregnant or looking to become pregnant in the next year, and that policy is going to be huge for them to be able to get the flexibility they need to take off time to, you know, bond with their newborn and not have to worry about work. What do you like about living in Winston-Salem? Me personally, I'm from a small town in Louisiana. And so when I went to medical school in New Orleans, that was like the big city to me. Winston-Salem is a lot different than New Orleans. It still has a very much a big city feel. I think there's about 250,000 people in, in the Winston-Salem area, but you're two hours away from some of the best hiking in the country, if not the world, in the Appalachian Mountains. My wife and I spent a weekend hiking part of the Appalachian Trail, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. And then you're also three hours from the beach. 
So the outdoor experiences that you get here in central North Carolina are really second to none. The weather of North Carolina is amazing. I think it's snowed one time since I've been here for the last four years. And the winters are very mild. I think they can get down to the teens, but again, very little, if any, snow. And the summers are actually very mild as well. So right now, this heat wave that's sweeping across, it's about 90 degrees here, and, and that's hot for Winston. And whereas coming from South Louisiana, this is a cool spring day. But the weather, the access to outdoor events and activities, and then it's hard to put it into words. It's just really easy to live here. There's no traffic. The education system for people with kids are great. And like I have a vegetable garden in the backyard. I have some tomatoes that are getting ready to explode, some bell peppers, and being able to have that kind of experience. I guess being in residency during the time where most people are in residency, so late 20s, early 30s, you're really trying to, besides achieve all of your professional goals, you're trying to achieve your personal goals. And a lot of times that's building a family. So being able to own a house, being able to have a backyard, being able to provide good education for your family and doing it all with no traffic or no headaches that you know some big cities may come with. It's a really undervalued part of the residency selection process. And I couldn't imagine training anywhere else. That was so beautifully spoken. I love that. I know that there are, you know, a couple other integrated plastic surgery residency programs in North Carolina. Any pros or cons or collaboration that you could comment on about those? Yeah, we have a good relationship with both Duke and UNC. One of our graduates from the Wake Forest program is the program director at UNC, Dr. Han Wood, and faculty have a close relationship. Dr. Eva Pastana, our breast microsurgeon, graduated from Duke. And so we have a very collegial relationship. During the pandemic, we had a, a guest lecturer with Dr. Peter Nelligan. We invited all of the other programs to attend, and Duke reciprocated whenever they would have guest lecturers as well through Zoom. And so it's a very collegial environment. I know that at the cosmetic rotation down in Charlotte, they have some UNC graduates who rotate down there as well. So we get to work with UNC grads every now and then. So it's been a state to support the plastic surgery experience and residency here. And then at our North Carolina meeting, we usually interact with a lot of the residents from those programs as well. And so I have a personal close relationship with, with a couple of residents from both of those programs. And so I think it's a, a very positive experience. So it's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about today. Any final thoughts either on your program or on the process of choosing a residency? Yeah, I mean, just kind of how easy it is to live in Winston is what I would highlight. But when you're evaluating for all the applicants out there listening to this, when you're evaluating programs, I personally... At the end of every interview, they're like, do you have any questions? And, and that can get kind of old, and especially towards the end of the interview. But I personally had two questions that I would ask. One was a serious question. One was just a fun question. The serious question I asked was, where is the next big advancement in plastic surgery? Where is the next area of groundbreaking expertise? And actually, 90 to 95% of the respondents all said the same thing, and it was fat grafting. So that was interesting to hear just anecdotally. And then the second question was, you know, where's your favorite restaurant around here? Just to try and, you know, lighten the mood a little bit. Not saying you have to ask those questions, but try to have some response for those, but make 
yourself stick in the interviewer's mind a little bit to kind of give yourself a positive note. And then we kind of touched on it already, but being able to be a department allows you a lot more mobility and freedom versus the division under general surgery model. So that's something that applicants may not realize or think to ask, but that is important. And then ask about cosmetic experience. I think Dr. David actually did some investigation. 50% of plastic surgery residents go straight into private practice and 50% go, go to fellowship. And then of those 50% that go to fellowship, 80% go into private practice. So the huge majority of people that graduate from plastic surgery programs are going to go into private practice. Programs that have a strong cosmetic experience are going to talk about it. And programs that may not have the best experience are just going to say, oh, yeah, we get our numbers. But kind of learn to read between the lines. And it's hard to know what you're going to go into in six years as an applicant. But just know that the numbers say most people will go into private practice. And being able to ask about that and read between the lines is really important. And how can interested students find out more about your program? So we have a website that we recently updated. If you just Google Wake Forest Plastic Surgery, you'll find our website. And we have an Instagram where we really try to highlight all of the resident activities. It's wake underscore forest underscore plastics. And uh, you can see all of the shenanigans that we get up to and uh, follow along for what the resident experience is like here in Winston-Salem. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jenna. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.